Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored uh, by Yaakov Shirazi on the occasion of Rosh Chodesh Sivan, La Slachaba Komiko Kol for success in everything. Thank you, Yaakov. As well, Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Emmanuel Zara, dedicated in honor of Rabbi Fari, thanking him for his kindness and leadership. May Akadosh Baruch continue to bless you and your loved ones. I always like to show them. I'm not making this stuff up just because I need a, a little bit of a boost. Someone actually wrote that, by the way. Okay, thank you so much, Emmanuel. I really appreciate it. Uh, the week of Kobru is dedicated loving memory of Moshe Daba, Lilunishna Moshe Ben Gelson, sponsored by his wife, uh, Yvette, and children. And as well, the week of Kobru is sponsored by James Haddad in honor of Rabbi Fari's legendary dance moves on full display at the Syed Haddad wedding. Okay, my friends, um, let us begin. I want to start by wishing everyone a beautiful Chodesh Tom Vorach and to invite anyone that's here locally to join us for our incredible Shavuot program, which we're going to be having uh, from, uh, uh, from the evening all the way straight through to the morning. We're going to be having a young professionals and young couples dinner, 20s and 30s. Uh, going to be have, we're going to have a dinner here in the Beit Knesset. And then followed on by the Tikkun Korim all night starting at 11, the reading. And starting at midnight, 12 o'clock, sorry, Saturday night. And starting midnight, we're going to have as well back-to-back-to-back uh, -to -back -to -back classes in English, for those of you who either can't read uh, Tikkun or don't, can't stay up for the Tikkun or uh, would not otherwise do it, we're looking forward to having a, a packed Bet Knesset, uh, cheesecake uh, on the hour, every hour on the hour, all different uh, options, Baruch Hashem. It's going to be a beautiful holiday for everyone that is here joining us. Please make the effort on the night of Shavuot. My friends, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about this custom of staying up on the night of Shavuot. And what actually this idea really means. You know, one of the things my rabbi used to point out was how inefficient or inefficient it was to actually stay up on the night of Shabbat. By the time you get to Beit Knesset, what time is it? It's already 12. By the time you had your coffee, you know, it's already, God knows how late. You're half asleep. You're pushing yourself to learn through the night. Uh, already 4 o'clock in the morning, we're already getting started to pray. You barely learned. What did you learn? You learned four hours. The next day, you're exhausted, you come back home, destroyed, you eat quickly, the whole lunch is, is you know, you're sleeping in the afternoon, you know what, get a good night's sleep the night before, and learn the whole day, you get much more, many more hours that way, than for, and also much better quality of learning. So why are we staying up the night of Shavuot? What is the purpose of staying up the night of Shavuot? So I want to share with you a very interesting idea put forward by Rabbi Weinberger. It's a magnificent concept. The Pasuk says, when Borei Olam gave the Torah, God spoke to the Jewish people and it was way too much. And they were terrified. They were terrified from God's voice. Baruch Atah And Moshe tells the people, Al Tirao, don't be afraid. God is not making... Uh, his, this experience, his voice so powerful that it literally caused the Jewish people's souls to leave their bodies. God is not doing that in order to hurt you. He's not doing that in order to kill you. The reason why God is doing it is in order to lift you up, to raise you up, in order that you should have that his fear should be on your face. In order that you should not sin. So one more time, the magnificence, the power, uh, the display of Har Sinai, of the giving of the Torah, 
What was its purpose? What was its point? This awesome and fearful display. It was in order that the Jewish people, to raise you up in order that you should have fear of heaven. The Gemara Nedarim on page 20, on page 20, Amud Aleph, on 20a, says a very interesting idea that it, that would not have, I think, perhaps jumped to mind if you just read the Pasuk. The Gemara quotes the Pasuk that we just mentioned, and it says, what is this that we're describing here? This elevation, this, la- this fear of heaven, uh, this, uh, 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 what does it mean? Says the Gemara, zu busha. This refers to shame, to embarrassment. Because if a person is embarrassed, says the Gemara, then they don't sin. If a person is embarrassed, then they have fear of heaven. And that, w- that is what was given to us on Har Sinai. And the Gemara then continues and says, if you meet someone that does not have busha, siman, it's a sign that he and his forefathers never stood at Mount Sinai. The Gemara elsewhere says that if a person has busha, shame, they're embarrassed when they do something wrong, that's a sign of Judaism, the fact that someone's Jewish. And if someone is shameless, then you should know about that person, check into his lineage, he's probably not Jewish. Wild. Crazy, think about that. One of the signs of being a Jew, says the Gemara, is that a person has busha, that they have, that they're embarrassed. Now, the question is, what is this busha that was given to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai? And where do we find that the Jewish people were embarrassed on Mount Sinai? And where do you find it in the Pasuk, where the Pasuk says, Ki nasot etchem, that God did this to raise you up. Raise you up doesn't sound like shaming you. Shaming you, I would have said, is more associative with being put down, not with being lifted up. No one ever sang in a song, you raise me up to humiliate me. No one ever sang that. Those are not words of a song that you ever heard. So where did the Gemara find that in the Pesukim? Where do we find shame on Mount Sinai? So Rabbi Weinberger brings an, a concept from the altar of Navardak, which is just, it's breathtaking. He explains this concept of shame. Using the story of Eliyahu Anavi, Bahara Karmel. Now, let me give you background of this story. At the time, the Jewish people had a very evil king. Who was their very evil king? Achav. Who was he married to? Izebel. Jezebel became a terminology that was then associated with a certain type of a woman who was a, a wicked woman. They even used that term. As a, as a colloquial explana- uh, a descriptive terminology of someone who's wicked, who's evil, who's cruel. So Achav and Izebel were the king and queen of Israel at the time. In fact, not just to understand how wicked they were, they went on a killing spree and Izebel killed uh, all of the prophets of God. There were many different prophets of God. Izebel had them all murdered. The only prophet that survived the massacre was whom? Eliyahu Anavi. And he has to go into hiding. 
Now the people at the time are being led astray by the king and queen. They, they believe in God, but they are also worshipping the Baal. Baal was an idol at the time. There were many Jews that followed in the foot in the in this uh, the trap of Ahav and Izevil that were pushing the Baal. And uh, there were prophets, many prophets of the Baal leading the Jews astray. And the Jews believed and worshipped God, but they also worshipped idols at the same time. Eliyahu and Avi decreed in the retribution for what happened to the prophets and the fact that nothing was being done about it and with the, the state of the Jewish people, he decreed that there should be a famine for three years. And indeed there was. The people eventually came complaining. They said, you need to pull back on this decree. We're starving. Eliyahu and Avi says, no problem, on one condition. Whatever the condition is, we'll do it. Fine. We're going to have a showdown. A showdown on Har HaKarmel. All the Nevi'i Baal, let them come. And they'll be on the side of the Baal. And I'll be on the side of God. And at that point, whoever wins the showdown, that'll be the God that you worship. Ad matai atem poschim Until when will you be standing at two gates by two fences? If Baal is God, serve him, ditch HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is God, ditch the Baal. But you can't have both. The people agree, and the stage is, is set, and they give the terms of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the showdown. Each one of them would bring a sacrifice, and whoever could draw down a fire from Shamaim from heaven to consume the Korban, that would be a sign that, the God, that their God was the one. 450 prophets of Baal turn up. They get their sacrifice. They're screaming, screaming, screaming. Nothing's happening until it's time for Eliyahu and Avi. Eliyahu prays to God. An open miracle happens. The fire comes down, consumes the Korban of Eliyahu and Avi. The Jewish people do Teshuvah en masse. All of the Jewish people do Teshuvah together. And they say in that moment, Amonai Hua Elokim, Amonai Hua Elokim. So when we say that in Shul. You want to know where that comes from? That's where it comes from. The Alta from Navardic explains that when Eliyahu Anavi was driving home to the Jewish people was what he calls Hargashat Hastira. I promise you this is a gift, this idea. Hargashat Hastira means an awareness of the contradiction. They were living a life where they worshipped Baal, you know, from 9 a.m. Till, uh, till 12 p.m. And they worshipped God from 12 p.m., whatever the, you know, they had God in their life. And then the next thing they're doing is they're bowing down to the Baal. How could you have both things at the same time in your life? So until that point, they believed in God and they believed in the Baal and they had them both together like some sort of weird chalant. Okay? Eliyahu Anavi points out that you can't have one and you can't have one and the other at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. So when the Jewish people saw that the sign had illustrated that it was God, they say, Amonai, Elokim, Amonai, Elokim, Amonai, what are they saying? Hashem is God. We know that you hold that. We know that you feel that way. 
But the second time they said it was to illustrate that it was God and not something else. So the first Amunayhu Elohim is, I believe in God, but you believed in God before. The second Amunayhu Elohim says, it is only God that is Elohim and there is nothing else. That was the power of the statement said by the Jewish people twice. They would no longer jump from gate to gate. They would no longer try and dance at two weddings. They understood exactly where they needed to be, what they needed to believe in. My friends, that is where the busha kicks in. You know, if you're a person that doesn't keep anything, doesn't believe in God, doesn't do Torah mitzvot, you consider yourself, you know, uh, the, you know the, uh, the, the rasha from the Upper East Side. You know what? You eat non-kosher, you're not strict on Shabbat, you don't give tzedakah, you steal money from somebody. It fits your profile. But if you're a person that has some sort of sensitivity, that thinks that they are a good person, that comes to pray, how could you live with the contradiction? How could you be a good person when it comes to tzedakah and a rashat when it comes to a business deal? If you care about people and you do the right thing, then you do the right thing and you care about people here in the, in the knis and in the business, in the office. How could you have this contradiction? You eat kosher, you eat kosher. You eat some kosher, what is that? The person, when they recognize the difference between who they know they should be and the person that they currently are, it, it brings with it a sense of shame and not a shame that knocks you down. A shame that lifts you up. It is that busha actually that causes the person, the same letters of busha is the letters shuba to return. It's my shame with who I am and what I'm doing and how I'm living that turns me around. You know, you think about the examples that you have in, what's it called, uh, in our daily life. The famous example of a rabbi who comes to a congregant's house for Shabbat dinner. And the guy wants to impress the rabbi that he does everything the right way. Goes out, makes a beautiful Shabbat seuda, comes home. He starts making kiddush and the rabbi says to him, he, cover the challah. The guy stops the kiddush, starts screaming at his wife. How could you do that? How could you embarrass me like this? What are you doing? Don't you know you have to cover the bread before the kiddush? Don't you know screaming? The rabbi says, Rohi, stop. He says, don't you realize? Why do we cover the bread? The halakha says, so the bread should not get embarrassed that we skipped its beracha and went to a beracha that should have come second, i.e. the beracha of hagefen. If we're covering the bread to save it from embarrassment and it can't think and it can't feel and it can't be embarrassed, do you think that it's appropriate to yell at your wife over not covering the bread? That's what you think? The whole point of this was to stop someone from shame. And now you're shaming a person in order to not shame something? Don't you realize the contradiction you're living with? You think you're so religious and you're screaming, yelling at your parents that they're not up to scratch. You're humiliating your parents because they didn't uh, do this or they didn't do that or they didn't go to shul. Dad, how could you do that? Ma, what are you, don't you know? You know there's a mitzvah in the Torah. It says, Kabed It's a contradiction to live a religious life and to be an animal, to not be a mensch. This idea, this contradiction, this the hargashat astira, 
in our heads we know it, but we have to really actually feel it. You know, I always think to myself, you have sometimes a person that'll come over for a Shabbat meal, and the guy's saying, out of the bencher, because he doesn't want to say it by heart. He reads every word so beautifully, because he's so grateful to God. He's such a person of appreciation and of gratitude. But he didn't say thank you to my wife. My wife's slave to make this meal. I, put the, I did everything here to have, make you feel comfortable. You remember to say thank you to God, but did you remember to say thank you to the person that put it in front of you? You didn't. It's a contradiction. Are you a person that recognizes and appreciates and has a karatatov, or are you not that person? Now, if someone would point that out to you, how embarrassing would it be? Not because they pointed it out, but because within yourself, I know better than this. I am better than this. So Boreh Olam at Har Sinai, he teaches us Busha. And you know how he teaches us Busha? By helping us become aware of the contradiction. I am Hashem, your God, says God. Hold up, we're not done. There should be no other gods in front of me. And the Mefarshim ask, does God need to command you on something that already is true anyway? Because imagine God says, I command you to breathe. I don't really have a choice. I breathe whether I like it or not. It's not a conscious decision. God says, there shall be no other gods before me. The Mephashim explained that the words Elohim doesn't only mean God, it means powers. So for some people, powers represents an idol, a religion, a belief. But lo yelecha Elohim means that nothing else should have power over you. Society can be literally avodazara. Peer pressure can be a foreign power causing you to do something. Money can be avodazara. When the Torah says Elohe Kesef, the Elohe Zahav, what do we think it means? We think of a statue made out of gold and a statue made out of silver. Who thinks of a hundred dollar bill? This should not be Elohe Kesef, Elohe Zahav. You're not being honest. Abudazara, Elohe Kesef. You just crowned your money, your God. But unless you live with the awareness of that contradiction, this embarrassment that causes self-improvement, it doesn't ever get to rear its head. So when a person has and develops that busha, actually it helps them improve. It's very hard to talk to our generation about busha, about embarrassment. Our generation is about being proud of everything that you do. This idea that a person should be proud of their mistakes and proud of their sins, should have a month for it. This concept. Judaism believes that you don't let your mistakes drown you, devastate you, define you. But to hold up your mistakes like they were your best achievement, only, only a generation like ours can do that. Well, it's made me the person I am today. Correct, and you're a terrible person. I'm not embarrassed of the fact that I speak up. I'm speaking truth to power. No, you're not. You're being disrespectful to your parents. Speaking truth to power. No, you're not. It is a wild thing. That you could have people 
who stand for the ethical treatment of animals, who will take baseball bats and beat a person wearing a fur. Do you believe in the ethical treatment of all living things? So because someone beat a rabbit, you're going to beat the human wearing that rabbit. Do you see Hargashat Astira? It is wild. Our, our, our world is an inherent contradiction today. But it takes a person who is self-aware to start recognizing where these contradictions lie in society. And an even more self-aware person to become aware of where these contradictions lie within themselves. I believe in Hashem. Parnasa comes from God, we tell everybody else. <laughs> right? Everything happens for a reason, we say to everyone else going through something. Hagashatastira, recognizing that contradiction. So my friends, this busha that was given to the Jewish people on Har, on Har Sinai is a beautiful thing. And actually, it causes a person to experience the process of shuva. Have you ever spoken to your wife in a way where you're embarrassed? You were unnecessarily cruel. Are you not embarrassed? In the moment, you're hot-headed. So she says, why did you do this? And like, what did I do? But you went off on one. You, you know that you're better than that. You spoke not nicely to a friend, to someone. You know that you're better than that. That busha will remind you next time not to do it. Unless you suppress the busha and tell yourself instead, no, 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 no. That's exactly how I should have acted. She needed to hear it that way. Someone needed to put that guy in his place. Really? Did it need to be you? Did it need to be now? Was that what you were doing when you lost your temper? That's what you were doing? You were carefully, in a calculated way, putting that person in their place? That's what you were doing? Stop lying to yourself. The Pasuk says, Ki nasot etchem. God wanted to lift you up in order that there should be fear of heaven upon your face. And how does fear of heaven come? Fear of heaven comes when a person realizes that they're living a lie. There's a lot of uh, writings that talk about the concept of congruency. Congruency means where I'm living an equilibrium-laced life, where my behavior towards others is the same as it is towards myself, where the perfection I demand from others, I demand from myself. With the midot tovot, I can't tell you. The other day, I was listening to a person speaking to somebody else, very angry. What was he angry about? He was angry about the fact that someone had not told him the truth. And I had, I had a feeling of pity in my heart for this man because he's not so careful with the truth himself. So why does it get him so angry when someone else lies if he lies? On the surface level, because he's not felt this contradiction. 
But there's something else. The Gemara tells us, Kol HaPosel Bimumo Posel. If you want to knock somebody down, you know what you use, you employ in order to knock that person down? You project your own deficiencies upon that person. And why is it that we project the things that we are not good at on somebody else? Most people think it's because we're just more immediately aware of them in somebody else. But I think that there's a deeper reason. We have an intense busha inside of ourselves. But sometimes we don't want to let ourselves feel bad about our actions. We don't want to let ourselves get angry at ourselves. So what do we do? We find something that we hate about us. I hate that I get angry at my children. I hate that I'm not more giving and I'm too stingy. With my, I'm happy to spend the money on myself, but I'm looking at the credit card every month for my wife. Honey, why'd you spend this money on uh, clothing for the kids? Meanwhile, you then go out and spend $1,000 out on a night out with the boys in the fanciest restaurant and dry, you know, driving around. And, you know, you're frugal, be frugal with everybody, including yourself. You're not frugal, you know, allow everybody to spend that way. When there's something that I dislike so much about myself, but I don't feel capable enough or I don't feel comfortable enough in being honest with myself about it, I create an alternate target for the thing that I'm so angry about in myself. And I paint the target on your chest. Sometimes when we get angry at another person and you wonder why you're so white hot angry at this person, why is it you're getting triggered so hard by this? Try and look and see if the element that you're so angry about in that person is actually an element that you are really angry and embarrassed about within yourself. And it might be, by the way, that it's only manifest with regards to one or two people in your life. You have people who are the nicest, kindest, gentlest people in the world. And then someone goes to their wife or kids or parents and says, you know, your son, your husband, your father, your mother, your daughter, they're so nice, they're so kind. And the parent says, I wish they would help more around the house. Really? You're talking about my daughter? Talking about my son? My husband is so nice? You must be mixing him up. Maybe he has a twin brother. Sometimes that deficiency only manifests in one person. But Hashem, Hashem knows our capabilities. And if Hashem gave us a mechanism by which to self-correct, and that mechanism of shuva is the mechanism of busha. May Hashem bless us to be comfortable with shame and to recognize that it is a corrective me measure. I'm looking to buy a new oven because my oven does not work. And you know what I'm making sure to look for in any oven that I buy? I always go down into the filter and I look in the features of the oven and there's one feature that I must have. And if I don't have it, it's not worth buying the oven. You know what that feature is? Self-clean. Because if the oven don't self-clean, then it's hard to kosher it between milk and meat. It's hard to purge the problems, the dirt from inside it. I won't buy an oven unless it has self-clean. Hashem made sure that there is a self-clean feature built into each and every one of us. And that feature is called, busha is called shame. Let us embrace it and use it to its fullest potential. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.